All this evidence helped bring into focus the problem we were trying to solve with our new design. We wanted to spend more time helping our people use their strengths in teams characterized by great clarity of purpose and expectations, and we wanted a quick way to collect reliable and differentiated performance data. With this in mind, we set to work. Welcome to episode 21 of Sandwich Wingman. Uh, I'm Ryan Morrison with me. Rob Hanna. Rob, how are you? I'm excellent. Happy 21st. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, I guess it's an exciting week. Drinking. Yeah, right. Maybe we should have been. You know, like uh, Senko de um, Sandwich Wingman. Yeah, let's, uh, let's <laughs> pretend that worked really well. We'll keep moving on. Um, so this week we've got, uh, we, we did some tomato sauce sandwiches. We did. Which, uh, I'll confess, I had something in mind even before we selected the, the ingredients. That's fine. I'm, I'm actually excited you did. I would not have thought this would have opened up, it, it opened up some possibilities, which I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like you have, uh, talk about. uh, you know, you're, we need to get you over your, your condiment problem. And this seemed like a, tomato sauce seemed like a, like a gateway condiment, almost. I like that. So much con- context. Um, and also we have a um, really interesting article, Reinventing Performance Management, by Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. Uh, just came out here in, in April, Harvard Business Review. Very interesting look at how Deloitte um, has re-engineered how they do performance reviews. So something I think uh, everyone would find kind of fascinating. So really looking forward to that. Me too, Uh, yeah. But uh, this was, um, in some ways, my finest sandwich to date. This was a fun fun little project, so I've been dying to hear what you did with tomato sauce. Okay, well, this week, should I just, uh, I I made a lamb... I made a lamb meatball sub, lamb quote unquote meatball sub. Wow. Um, and uh, I used uh, so a lamb meatball sub with three cheeses, um, with a tomato basil sauce on a French baguette. Wow. So all of the ingredients like the sauce and the cheeses and the lamb quote unquote meatballs. Um, all had like different spices and seasons in them, in them, so I don't necessarily have to go into all the details there. But I'll, the bottom line is that it was essentially was a rosemary lamb sausage um, that I had, and then there were three cheeses: Parmesan Romano Asiago, tomato basil sauce had a bunch of different seasonings in it, so I didn't really have to add any strange seasonings there. I also used fresh basil leaves um, on the sandwich as well. So that that's that that's the uh, this week I, I decided to call it the Mary had a little lamb sandwich. Wow. This is extraordinary. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I mean, just just real quick, how uh, how did it taste? It was awesome. This right. was my perhaps my, my finest sandwich as well. Wow. This is going to be fun. <laughs> um, I know. And you? Well, you know, our two sandwiches, they're like similar enough and yet opposites enough to like fit. As uh, like like thematically, this is very Love interesting. It. This is fantastic. I uh, I did not um, I did not use lamb in my sandwich. 
However, it was inspired by my favorite baseball player, Jake Lamb. Wow. Was and, it really? Yes, and named after Jake Lamb. It's called The Lambaster. Ooh. Yes. Uh, basically, he was on there, he did a little chat, and he shared his favorite food was um, sausage, bacon, and pepperoni pizza. Ooh. And that, my friend, was turned into a sandwich. Oh, I am excited. Yes. And I mixed in a little myself in there, too. I used uh, uh, ricotta cheese as well. So I think between us, we used five different cheeses, none of which overlapped. Oh, wow. Wait. Yeah. I I had mozzarella and ricotta cheese. Mozzarella. I see. Yes. You're right. We... There's a lot going on here this week. <laughs> lots of cheeses, lots of spices, and uh, yeah. Yeah. for me, a diff- yeah, a different type of protein. So, so yeah. it was a it was a little onerous. I um, ciabatta is, was the oh the bread. sure uh, that makes sense. Yeah, pepperoni, um, pepperoni, tomato sauce, mozzarella. Um, I, I crumbled my own. Jimmy Dean sausage. And okay. Bacon. All right. And I prepared bacon in a way that I that I think worked out really well. And I mixed oh, the excited. bacon with the ricotta cheese, and it was Whoa. really all quite special. It was uh, it was uh, it was a nice day. For that yeah, maybe. We, yeah, we. I think we should. Uh, maybe, maybe we could take it back and and kind of walk through some of these things. Uh, yeah. Why don't you Why don't you take it from uh, your perfect. process? Okay. And and the so, points. Yeah, so uh, this was took a little bit of work, but not too much work. So this was a three out of five for ease, I thought, of assembly. Um, so I uh, stovetop cooked the rosemary lamb sausage. It was it was essentially uncooked but cased. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So I had to like cook it up and cook it through, uh, and then I put the whole sandwich that I assembled. Well, I should say, so I assembled the sandwich. I had a essentially a. Uh, French baguette that I had chopped and kind of sliced down the middle to make it almost like a sub roll, uh, put the uh, sausages in there, uh, spread a little tomato basil sauce on top. Uh, and or, or, yeah, I also put some basil leaves in around there and then put the cheese on top of that and then put in the oven at 350 for five minutes to melt the cheese down on top. Oh. So that was, it was great. Um, so for nutrition, I think the only thing I really should dig myself on are the cheeses. So Parmesan, Romano, and Asiago, probably really salty, probably a little bit fatty, I assume. Um, so, I, but I'm, this week was generous to myself and only dig myself a point, gave myself a four out of five for cheese. Um, and I thought this tasted awesome. I tried to dig myself for taste, but I couldn't. So I actually gave this a 10 out of 10. <laughs> So this is by far my best tasting sandwich yet. Um, And uh, surprising even me, but I think it's because of the crusty nature of the bread. It completely stayed together despite the fact that I had poured sauce on it. Um, So that was a five out of five for integrity. Um, And I think the the best part of the story here is actually the fact that I use lamb, a spiced lamb, a rosemary lamb with some other kind of uh, seasonings in there too, uh, pre-made. So I gave myself a five for that one too. Um, so the only thing I really dinged myself on was the fact that the crusty bread, when you tried to bite into it, was kind of difficult to bite into, but it was soft on the inside, you know, the bread. Mm-hmm. So the experience of the sandwich, despite its great taste, 
uh, to me was was somewhat diminished from a five. So I gave that a three. So kind of adding all that up, that brings me to a thirty-one. Wow, that's that's an incredibly. I mean, this is a sandwich I absolutely would make again. I absolutely loved the yeah. the taste of everything in there. It all worked really well. Um, super stoked. That uh, that's fantastic, man. That's why we do this. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, well, and what about you, buddy? Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna come right out and say it. I also, oh, mm-hmm. I've got this written down here, which I can show you. But okay. Um, I also, I put down my first ten for taste. Wow. Okay. Uh, did not do as well as you overall. I ended up at a twenty-seven. Okay. It was a difficult process. Um, I did a, a two ease of assembly, um, okay. and then what really brought me down was, I, I really just in good conscience, uh, this was a one, nutrition-wise. It really oh. probably couldn't well, have been any any less healthy. I mean, the uh, bacon. Well, the bacon, the sausage was uh, just top to bottom. It was, it was uh, probably like 50% <laughs> fat. On <laughs> It was greasy. It was uh, really just. Uh, but I, I did want to walk through the the process a little bit. Yeah, please. I, yes, yes. There's maybe an innovation in there too, which uh, I won't share. Whoa. Um, okay. The ciabatta I got was the kind that that you buy like almost fully baked, but not quite fully baked. Okay. And you I need follow. to finish baking it in the oven. Okay. So I, I kind of had all my stuff ready to go uh, when that baked there for for. Put it in for just just five minutes, um, and then I cut each of the the pieces, you know, with a bread knife with the help of an oven mitt because it was very hot. But I wanted it to stay hot because I need, needed some help with the cheese. Um, I put on the pepperoni on the bottom and the mozzarella on the top, and then I put basically just on a plate back in the oven to help uh, help get the cheese melted. Makes sense. Um, but what I had done. Um, I've done this before with, uh, stuffing for like Thanksgiving, the, this the sausage, you get the big like pork sausage, frozen, you know, Jimmy Dean sausage. It's a, just an enormous block, like a, yeah, right. you know, 16 ounce beer. Can oh yes. I, I, yeah, I can picture it. Yep. Yeah. And it, it just, it's amazing how when it's frozen, it's fr- like, it's perfectly solid. Um, so I had to kind of thaw that out, but basically you just... You know, in a skillet, just empty out the sausage and just let it cook. So it's all, it's all crumbled everywhere. Oh, okay. Uh, and that that really uh, went a long way for this sandwich in particular, I think. And I, I would recommend it for a pizza as well. Um, Alright. But so that was fun. The I got like a thick cut bacon, but you know how normally you get it and it's kind of like um, spread out a little bit in the package. Yes. Uh, what I got, I got, I didn't need to be this way um, for how I prepared it, but uh, the bacon I got was all just kind of like in one block. It was still strips. Yep. But it was yep. all, yep. Um, you know, one right after the other. Mm-hmm. Basically took half of that and I and I cut it, um, you know, like I, like I would have maybe a hot dog except all the way through. Yep. Into into little tiny strips that were kind of went the other way. Um, okay. So it was all 
cut into very small pieces, which was kind of disgusting before it was cooked because it was then it was just basically like one big wad of bacon meat. Uh, but once it cooked up, you know, it was all in those these little tiny pieces that were all like nice and crispy. Love and, it. Uh, I re- yeah, I really recommend that uh, highly. So it was that and the sausage. Put you know put that on there after the tomato sauce. Um, and I had, I had mixed in the ricotta with the bacon pieces in a bowl. Uh, so, I, you know, I just, uh, ricotta, that was me trying to throw in my favorite um, pizza, which is, if you've ever been to Bertucci's. Yes. You know, the Sporky pizza? It rings a bell. It's, so it's little, little uh, sausage slices, but also like uh, globs of ricotta cheese in places. Oh yes. Yeah. It was it was uh it was a special sandwich. It was kind of hard Maybe. to get all the way through it, but it was it was the the experience was pure. Yeah, well, why was it hard to get through? Um it was very substantive. Was, oh yes, right. It was like right, a, right. A, like an entree even though it was a small sandwich. Uh but I did go ease of assembly 2, nutrition 1, taste. Okay. I did go with the 10. Integrity was almost there. I gave it a four. Uh, conversation piece, at least as good a, a backup for this as I, as I could think of. Um, had some help with the with the name from a, a, a Twitter friend uh, who's familiar with Jake Lamb as well and with our, right. our sandwiches. Um, and it was through him that he he named it the Lambaster, which uh, so thank you CJ for that. And experience-wise, I did stick with a five, so I ended up at a twenty-seven. But it's a good situation. That's fabulous, man. Yeah, really, uh, man, that was fun. So unhealthy. Oh my god. But. You know, well, I mean, just just to get just to get to a perfect ten out of taste, ten out of ten taste. I mean, that's right. yeah, that's why we have a scales. We knew there'd be trade-offs. Right. For sure. And I, I will I will say, and Tice is still holding up as a great scale. Yeah, I think so. I think so. A great rating system, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good idea. Pretty good idea. Yeah. It's like a, uh, for baseball, wins above replacement. It gives you a really good idea of its value. Yes, exactly right. Even yeah. if uh, you might want to dig in a little bit more and what it's good at. Exactly right. Well said. Yeah, I, I tried my yeah. best. Well, that was great. I would say this is um, so. Uh, let, let me say just to my sandwich that, as you know, you know, I used a sausage, but I I thought if I were to do it again, I might try to make it with just ground lamb as lamb meatballs and do an actual meatball sub. Mm. But um, I thought that it was easier to describe this as a lamb meatball sandwich, even though it wasn't quite in balls. Well, it was yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, no one's no one's thinking like perfect spheres, right? Right. Good point. So, oh, okay. Yeah, they're they're kind of. Uh, it sounds like the pieces that you used were about the same size. Yeah. Well, point. I end up yeah cutting it cutting it in half and using two, but I could have cut it into fours and it would have been about okay. the size of a ball. Yeah. So but from a from a mouth mouthful standpoint. Exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I think it it was the similar experience to that. But yeah, so Mary had a little lamb and you had the. Lambaster. Yep, the Lambaster. Hits hard. Harder than you think. 
Was Congrats. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, we've got a pretty great article here. I know. I'm just and ready to dig in. Thoughts? Yeah. All right. I, 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 no more closing thoughts other than that great idea for an ingredient. All right. Well, we'll see what we spontaneously come up with later. I know. I'm looking forward to that part, too. I just realized. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, reinventing performance management. So uh, the first part of this article reads a lot like um, probably tons of conversations that anyone has had with other people about the okay. short, the shortcomings of um, – Performance reviews, exactly right. Uh, kind of a one one size fits all approach. Uh, you tend to get um, evaluated by someone who may not appreciate the nuances of your work uh, or how you dedicate your time necessarily on a day to day basis. Or exactly, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like like everything in. It's like not everything in your job rides on performance review, and yet performance review is an important part of the job experience, and 100% of that comes from this like narrow, skewed, um, you know, this one perspective from like the corner of the room, and uh, I think it's a that's a a very frustrating thing for lots and lots and lots of people. And for me, it was always kind of a turnoff to, to, to working in a, in a bigger place. Um, where it's like, you got this, this stuff, it's, it's out of your control. If, if it happened to be completely fair at some point, that would be like a coincidence and luck. Right. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, I just I I'm very uncomfortable with it. I think you probably are too. Is that fair? It is fair, and I think that it's, it's since I think about this more broadly in my work about like performance evaluation for right. teachers, right? So, um, and how we want that to be based on multiple measures has been like our mantra in the reform community for for now several years at least. Um, you know, because you know the big pushback is always about like can teachers be judged just based on test scores? or a mm-hmm. test score as it were, right? Or like an average test score or even just value added test score, you know, value added growth of test scores. Right. So, um, we think about this a lot in our, in our work. And in fact, I got, I saw this article forwarded through from like an education, um, blog, um, to someone saying, Oh, you know, this is have implications for teacher evaluation. Um, but you know, to put your point before they also get the article and it, uh, I, and I know you might, I'm sure you, as, as, as do I enjoy how we can learn from applied psychology or from psychology. So they, they quote from a, or they said a journal of applied psychology article mm-hmm. where the, the study had what, like about 4,500 managers were rated by their bosses, their peers, and some subordinates. And they showed that 62% of the variance in the ratings could be accounted for by individual raters peculiarities. Mm-hmm. Um, which just once I read that thing, I was like, "Whoa!" Right? You know, you're thinking to yourself, like, maybe in these one-size-fits-all systems, these performance evaluations where you get like one score in the end, if that one score is more than half explained by whoever is the person rating you, that already seems just inherently unfair, and I don't even have to dig in any deeper. I mean, the fact that like so much of that's just be- what they think, 
right. um, and no, nothing objective. And yet the whole point of the system is presumably like you're going to compare ratings to ratings as if they're objective and apples to apples. Yeah, so I, I could see how, you know, up close and personal that may not seem like a problem because one you wouldn't you wouldn't appreciate how much of it really was the raider, but also um, it seems like something that's really between the raider and the raidee, and uh, it would just work a lot differently if there was only one raider for your entire organization. Correct. Than it would be if there were multiple raiders. Right, and and we see we see this in our work, like the whole concept of inter-rater reliability came up a ton when we were talking about teacher evaluation several years ago as a reform community. That, that that just came up as like, oh, we have to think about this, right? Like even though the system is a consistent system, like let's say like the rubric that the person fills out is the same piece of paper or the same format, um, like the fact that there could be such difference in how I kind of check off boxes or rate things or put numbers down um, – matters a lot even though you would think the system at its face is the same and it's a really big thing so it's it's not like it's not like what's lacking in the process is redundancy um I oh, just right say, I, I i think i stay away from from baseball examples of things enough to cash in mm-hmm. a chip here yeah you uh, should there, there are lots of things that we just measure with numbers how far a ball a ball goes you know, whether mm-hmm. it was an out or not an out, how many bases a guy got. Um, right. But, you know, one of the recent kind of frontiers in baseball has been defense. And exactly. That's, uh, that's a little – that's not as given to like a, like a binary approach. Um, especially, like you can work with smaller and smaller samples if you, account, you, you come up with a way to handle the fact that like not all plays are as difficult as each other. Because, you know, in a very small sample, someone might look really good, but but chances are just like this rating thing, and maybe it's 62% just how difficult the balls were that, that ended up in the in that fielder's direction. So there's a, a company that kind of rates, like, how, how uh, difficult these plays are um, and puts them in, like, five, like, difficulty categories and then kind of calculates your success rate based on that. But they have stringers, like actual human beings, making decisions about how difficult they think a certain play was. Um, and they have two people rate, uh, any one play is rated by two people. Got it. Um, and so if there's a disagreement, then they bring in a third person. Uh, but it, it, that's, it, it, this, um, this reliability, what was the word you used? Inter-rater reliability. Inter-rater reliability. Like, that's how, right. they, that's how they handle that. And I think they're, they're pretty good at it. They feel like they are. Um, and it, it, it does seem like it, but that's a, it's a much different beast when the thing that you're rating took about four seconds to develop from beginning to end. Right, 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 right. Yep. So it's not, yeah, like, it's not right. for lack of redundancy. And this is interesting, but let me let me follow off that point, Ryan. Think about like the the, you know, everybody watching the same play on a four second video, right? But like, what what is challenging in the work environment is that maybe your supervisor is the person who actually has the, um, the most complete. Well, let's no, I'll use the word comprehensive. That has the most comprehensive view of your practice, even though even though it might be incomplete. 
so, but if so, but if you have an issue with how they rated you, there's no one else that can yeah right come in and, and provide the next or you know provide a second rating on you right because yeah. presumably it'd be someone who actually has less information about your practice than right. your boss did or your supervisor did right so yeah so then uh, I guess you know maybe we can come come down on you know most most uh, employee rating review systems kind of suffer then from two problems at least in bigger organizations it's hard to figure out the interrelate interrater reliability and also right. even the best positioned person to rate you is not necessarily well positioned to rate you right so, i mean how do you um you know with enough data you could start to be like ah oh, well this person uh, i mean that there's a way that they figured out in the survey that 62 percent of the right. rating came from the raider uh, the raider's peculiarities there's a way to account for that exactly like they having done that work they could go into the ratings and basically back that out exactly uh, but the point is that that usually it doesn't they don't right right and 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 normally you can only kind of back that rating out if that raider has multiple people that they're rating like I think that I think the modeling of that must must necessitate from a statistical perspective, statistical standpoint. Like it must mean that like I get rated by multiple people and you rate multiple people and we can use that variation, both of those numbers to figure out, you know, yeah. what's explained by each, right? So Yeah. Um you get multiple years to work right. with maybe. Oh, right, yep, yep, yep. Um So there are there are lessons to be learned then from a very large organization like Deloitte. Correct. Uh, you know, they they face different challenges than, you know, say either of us do in our workplace from a from a, a rating perspective. Um, mm -hmm. But they were well positioned to, to to gather data also. So good for us. This yeah. Is, this is well written too, I think. Oh, this particular piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and I I think the the fun thing to. I mean, there's so many cool things here. I think they, one, they raise these questions that resonate with many of us who have been in jobs that get rated, right? So they just, you're just like, oh yeah, like was my, was it a fair system or like, or, oh yeah, like it isn't fair that I only, I'm given like a number in the end or something, like, you know, just whatever those issues that come up. But on the other hand, like it always seemed like the response to that was was like, oh, but can't we like be rated by our peers? Can't this be more comprehensive? Can't it be a little more nuanced? But then when you try to go there, it, it seems overly complicated. Yeah. So then you get like the system where like, um, the you know, or, or let me I'll, I'll set it up this way. The problem set the problem seems like oh like is this rating system too thin? Shouldn't it be like a, a system that has has more thickness to it? Mm -hmm. But then when you say like, but then when you start to have too thick of a system, you get the issue where it's like, well, then you're always rating everybody. And I think that's what the article br brings up too, right? Which is like, um, if we really want to, you know, uh, get at this, maybe we need to have. Uh, well, let me. I'll skip to the ahead because I don't. I'm not going to fill the whole logic in. But to the end of it, the, the, the conclusion that Deloitte came to was that yes, in fact maybe the once a year rating system or end of project rating system was not often enough and too thin. So we've decided we're going to essentially have everybody meet with their supervisor um, or speak with them and get feedback from them virtually in real time, sometimes as, as, as uh, or I should say as at least as often as every week, <laughs> Right. Uh, which is like a completely different thing, right? Cause like, that's not how we traditionally have thought about performance evaluation, which is like, 
something ends, the year ends, the project ends, you get a, you get a rating on it. Yeah. And apparently, and apparently that feedback is not useful, and also the it's too um, it's too simplistic. Right. So the alternative is is like not even really having a performance evaluation system that looks like what they used to look like. It's more just like you should get feedback all the time. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if um, you know that system being being pushed to like once a year. Uh, that's partly right. a reaction to everyone feeling like it's really not that helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it a minimal amount of time because it's uh, we're not extracting any value from it, and yet right, right. we need to do something in order to, you know, come up with uh, you know, how we're going to assign raises and things like that. Right, and, and, and the questions that they ask, because they, they, they've kind of, there are a couple of things there, so much to unpack, but they boil down to what, don't they have like four questions in here? Yeah. Where it's like, uh, it says, um, uh, at the end of every project, we will ask team leaders to respond to four future-focused statements about each team member. So I'll just do it quickly. Sure. W- number one, number one says, given what I know of this person's performance, and if it were my money, <clears throat> I would award this person the highest possible compensation increase and bonus. Question one, and, and, and just from strongly, whatever. Yeah. Question one. Question two is, given what I know of this person's performance, I would always want him or her on my team. Question two, right? Uh, question three, this person is at risk for low performance. Um, and question four, this person is ready for promotion today. Right. And many of those things are just yes or no things or very simple, like strongly agree to strongly disagree things. Sounds like a relatively straightforward and relatively quick process that doesn't come to like a numerical conclusion. It just it just gives you the you know sense, should I promote them? Should I not promote them? Should I give them more money? Should I not? Um it yeah. says, in effect, yeah, we are asking our team leaders what they would do with each team member rather than what they think of that person, think of that individual. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's just fascinating. Um, yeah, so that rips off a whole a whole bunch of different um, things. Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, well, one, I mean, maybe just um, maybe the problem that we've been struggling with is the numbers. You know, coming up with numbers for right. things may be, um, I, I can see that not being a thing that you want to save because that might have been the flaw in the first place. Yep. Um, but uh, there's, I mean, maybe the biggest thing from from the, the that chunk uh, that you just uh, broke off there is the, mm-hmm. the perspective issue. Um I think it's very well written in the article of um, we're not that great at other people is the yep. is the, the um, is the mm-hmm. lesson from the the poor quality of the of the evaluations and the metrics right. there for that right 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 and yet we're pretty good at ourselves that's the that's probably the the biggest single takeaway. Um, that they used, like maybe that's the the thing from the cognitive toolkit that they used to help make this happen. And the mm-hmm. result of that is probably the biggest thing that I would want to take away from this. Uh, people are really good at themselves at, at identifying their own strengths and, and what, what causes them to, to run into a wall. Mm-hmm. Because you talk about, you know, these evaluations being from a single perspective uh, and maybe from kind of far away. Actually, not to, um, I didn't set out on this to try to pick on you, uh, mm-hmm. but but just uh, 
just as a way of thinking about it, you know, you, you made the good point, like, well, but there's nobody better, maybe, than your supervisor. Your supervisor might have the most comprehensive look at the whole, at, at you and what you've done. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's not true, because maybe you are. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I don't think that's a huge um, surprise, uh, but what they did with it was, it's not like they took it and they're like, oh, we're, we're just going to have people evaluate themselves. Because then you also still have the inter-rater problem, that, that the reliability Exactly problem. right. Exactly right. What they right. did is they found a way to make it about you, yourself, yes, and the other person at the same time. Right. Put, put an evaluation of the other person in terms of yourself. Exactly right. Because they, they, they knew they could, they knew they could rely on that, and they also knew that it it didn't necessarily have to even be objective anymore. Right, right. It's put your money where your own mouth is. If you're gonna, if exactly you're gonna right. do this rating for us, if you're gonna do the evaluation, yep, do it as if you were running the company. Right. Um, and the first, I mean, they basically try to simulate that with the first one. It's like if it was yep. your money, how much of it would you give to this person? Exactly. Um, and. Uh, with the second one, there's not even anything to simulate. Does that, yep. that second question is... Is gold. Yeah, I, I mean, it just made, made thinking about this so <laughs> worth it from top to bottom. Um, would you want that person on your team? Would you want to keep working for that person? Would you want your results and your success yep. to, be, to be bound up and, and pinned on this, this yeah. person's effectiveness? Right. Mm-hmm. There's no better question than that, right? Uh, I mean, in a in like a a fairly small company, I think that's probably the only question that matters, and it's maybe not that formal. It just kind of is the way that it is, right? And right? They, right? They're right? Scaling it up, it's great. Yeah, I love it. Great. I love it. The um, the um, what was I gonna add to that? Um, uh, I don't know, but the oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, I know we're not dealing with the article chronologically, or, or, or sorry, as like as as it flowed. But when you think about like how they came to those questions as a conclusion, they had actually done their own internal study. Right. And one thing that reminded me of that that particular statement that you read, which is awesome, about like would I want them on my team, right, or the one that we had talked about. When they did their own internal study to motivate that work, just to kind of think that you know, how did they come to this conclusion that that was such a good question? Um, the they they what did they we, they identified sixty of their highest performing teams, sixty high performing teams, um, and they had a representative sample of another control group. But long story short is when they found that the items that correlated best with high performance for a team was my coworkers are committed to doing quality work was was one of the statements. The second statement was the mission of our company inspires me. And the third statement was quote, I have the chance to use my strengths every day. Yes. So I, I thought that I want to unpack that last one, but yeah, I want to get too. that, that, uh, but that first one's fascinating, right? So it's like, uh, they probably asked some sort of like survey and that was one of the items, right? My coworkers are committed to doing quality work, right? So it's, it, um, a high performing team is also about a, everybody on that team, believing that everybody else in the team is providing quality work um, yeah so what does that say so i mean i believe that that's true let's so right. let's accept as true 
in high performing teams, there's a high correlation mm-hmm. between a team performing highly. Well, yep. And um, people feeling like the other people on their team are committed to doing high quality work. Yes. Or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is, uh, I hate to keep going back to baseball, but it's kind of like but this, go for it. this yeah. uh, team chemistry thing. It's like, oh, does team chemistry help you win games, or does winning games basically improve your chemistry? Exactly. Um, how do you how do you say? Does it seem like everyone's committed when mm. the team is performing highly, or it like I appreciate the correlation. Yep, I get what you're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder which way. I mean, they probably. For it to have come out as having, I believe, the the strongest relationship. The strongest one was the third one, actually. Okay, yeah, that's why. I... Sorry, but I didn't read that. That was the next sentence. Yeah, it says of these, the third was the most powerful across the organization. Yeah, okay, so. that's that's what the lasting uh, impression was in my brain. But yeah, um, the fact that it was high. Um, yes. Top three. That, that, yep. that, mm-hmm. The chances are it's a little bit of both, at least. That, that yeah, it goes both ways, exactly. probably. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so I guess they both matter. Is it possible yeah. that also it matters what people's impression is? It probably does too. I bet that's part of it. Yep. That that you also maybe you're more willing to exert your best effort if you believe that everybody else provides quality work too, or something. Or you well, know, I, believe, um, I absolutely yeah. believe that's true. I mean, don't don't you? Haven't you felt that way? Oh no, I do. I'm just right. So, so, so I, I think you're correct to say that there's there's some unpacking even in that statement, right? That one statement may maybe capturing multiple things or parts of multiple things. I won't get into kind of the. It makes me think of the factor analysis statistics, but it's a diff, diff, from a different perspective. But the the, but my coworkers are committed to quality work. You mentioned the two way phenomenon, right? Which is like um, we all have done high quality work together uh, because our team has performed well, and on the other hand. Um, maybe everybody is them themselves individually performing quality work, which I perceive, but there's a little mm-hmm. bit of both, mm-hmm. but there's also the, I, I am, I am committed to doing high quality work because everybody else is doing quality work too. That that's probably a part of that, but it's probably a little bit also overlapping with that third thing, which is I have the chance to use my strengths every day. Cause that comes back to your other point too, about, um, I'm the best raider of myself. Right. We so, so much practice. Um, so much, right, that's right. So, we, we, yeah, we just know and, because we I mean, think a lot about through, Yeah, right. We've gone through our lives. I mean, you just think about school. We've gone through yeah. our lives in, like, um, in a, a non-life-threatening survival mode, like, day by day for years and years and years. Like, it's, it's exactly um, doing you know, 20 years of school or something right. is, is like a, a, a perfect preparedness like camp to be able to make these determinations about how I'm, how am I most productive? Right. How do I, how do I produce my best work? Yes. It's, it's just perfect. I mean, any, any little thing, you know, you know, I mean, maybe sometimes there are things we don't see. We keep, keep hitting up against a wall right um, and don't really appreciate that but i don't i don't think that's true i think i think i think we've been forced to innovate by the time that you're you're in an office setting you've been forced right 
forced to to understand at least very well, if not more well than that. Uh, yeah. How to how to get yourself in a good position. Right, right. You understand strengths and weaknesses. You understand to, to how to counteract your weaknesses, perhaps, or like how to how to you know either minimize them or work around them, as maybe the word to use or the mm-hmm. term to use. And oh, then, yes. and then, but you're also most satisfied when I when you have the opportunity to, to use your strengths often, or in this case, every day. Right. So, like your own satisfaction comes from what we would think about, you know, the, the, the term in positive psych or psych, like the sense of efficacy, right? Like, I feel like I am effective. And probably part of the sense of efficacy is that you feel like you have strengths that you use for good ends for, for like, you know, to produce something of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and maybe that point, like from one perspective, it can seem not very, um, it can seem a little trite, right? Which is like, great, use your strengths every day. We've always known that we wanted people to be like good fits or like to, you know, we, we, we've hired you because you had certain skills that we think we need, right? But the other hand, you, you could imagine misfits, right? Like where, where you kind of are not as well aligned with your team. Maybe you don't provide quality work on your team. And it partially is because you don't feel like the team is asking of you to play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe like you're willing to be like, um, how do I say just to follow the example, a baseball example, right? Like maybe you're willing to play third base, even though you're, you're trained as a second baseman and you know, you can do pretty well at third base and you're willing to like every once in a while do that because it might be, might be good for your team. But if you're keep, keep asking to play third base and you're, and you feel like you're a second baseman, it eventually is going to get to you and you're going to actually probably um, be very dissatisfied with your work. Cause you keep being placed in a position where you know, you are not doing the type of quality work you're capable of at second. I think in that example, maybe what it would be is that you don't have a great throwing arm, but you're a right. great fielder in every other way. So why, make, oh, okay. why why put so much pressure on your throwing arm? Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'm I'm totally there. I mean I I think um. And I know we keep keep kind of jumping around. But this this really goes to kind of where they where they ended or almost where they ended in this thing, right? Uh, which is, uh, you know, they had two priorities uh, when they set about trying to design this new system. One was to right. to recognize performance, and the second to see it clearly. Oh, exactly right. But uh, the third one was how to fuel performance. Oh, I'm yep, right. I I. Um, at least in the in the account given here, they basically discovered that they had had that priority in the course of pursuing this new performance system. They did yes. not. That wasn't. You know, that didn't come out of the box with what they were trying, uh, but they they realized that that was a big part of it. And that's. I mean, in terms of fueling performance, that's got to be it, right? I mean, it's it's about trying to get people playing to their strengths. This is how right, the or, world is made. Right. This is how like the country has a higher GDP or whatever. This is exactly right. Yep. Yep. Assign jobs randomly. Exactly right. So I, I think um, there's a real stark contrast between um, 
having that as a goal, let alone as a as a metric, or whatever. Uh, and I think performance reviews as we know them, which usually has a list of categories, it rates you right. for each one. Maybe it's a number. Maybe it's a simpler thing like satisfactory or needs improvement or things like that. Right. And the idea is like, oh, here are all the different things that your job could entail or does entail. And we're right. going to we're going to treat them all as vaguely equal. Mm-hmm. And if there's a couple things you're not doing so hot, like time to really double down and work on those things. It's like what like Exactly. This is um Oh, I see what you're getting at. That's fascinating. Yeah, because it's a it's a focus on weaknesses rather than on strength. It's not just like forgetting to focus on strengths mm-hmm. or not valuing that. It's it right. really is kind of the opposite. It's like no, right. we need to improve this shortcoming. You're great the right. other way, but no. And, right. Um, I don't know. I think it's a holdover from from education, right, where we try to make everyone as good at everything as they could possibly be. But right. I, I just don't understand like that really there's no reason why it ha- that has to be the case in the context of a business which should be run you know as effective as possible with maybe a a, a low regard to whether you're 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 uh forcing all of your employees to become masters of all ways of contending. Yes. No, no, I know. I, to that point, I was there. Are a bunch of things that came to my mind or went through my mind, but but one thing is the is this interesting cycle that the old performance evaluation systems um, uh, perpetuate, which is this thing where it's like, okay, this year I got rated, and now I know what my two biggest weaknesses are. My supervisor says next year focus on your two weaknesses to improve them, um, and then it's like, whoa, like now as an organization wide. Uh, priority or like, you know, just like uh, maybe unintentionally, we now at the beginning of every new year have most of our employees playing to their weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, right. And and I think, I mean, part of part of the lesson here is that it's not true that one size fits all. But right. maybe, maybe it's worth, you know, taking a few minutes to, you know, different industries mean different things. And, mm-hmm. you know, in your um, in your line of work or in the, in the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the teachers themselves, the policy behind your work, mm-hmm. um, you do actually kind of want them to not have glaring weaknesses in their teeth. Like yep. that's actually, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, a, that's a more reasonable priority to have in an education context, I think, than mm-hmm. in, uh, an accounting firm. That's um, right. Unless you, it matters when all of your employees are required to actually do everything. If your exactly. teacher, if your teacher is teaching everything, they're, right? Yes, yes. You know, they've got their own classroom, their own kids, and maybe they've got some some special subjects like a like an art or a gym or some or you know music. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're you are that person. It's important to not let anything mm-hmm. fall through the cracks. I could see that. Right. I could see that the other way too, right. but I mean, it's just a lot more reasonable there. Then if you're a business and another way to handle some weaknesses of some otherwise very valuable employees is to mm-hmm. redesign a team 
to to change the workflow in the business. If you're right. if you're a, a company of a size that can handle that, um, that's not just another possible answer. That might be a, a better answer. Um, but you know, you either need to be like a a medium sized office, like you know, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty people, where you could mm-hmm. re-engineer things yes. and not have a big cascade of other problems. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a super, super big company like Deloitte, where everyone, it seems like, they're all kind of so specialized anyway that it doesn't really matter. Like, there's no cascade because, so, there's a there's like a large company where a cascade can be a problem. Yep. And at a huge company, there is no cascade. And at a medium-sized company, you can... You can see what that would be and, and account for it, maybe. That was sure. Among the maybe least interesting thoughts, <laughs> could have dwelled on. <laughs> no, but the um, I, what I wanted to think a little bit about it was was this fueling performance side of it. Yeah. Um, just just to go with that about growth and stuff because we're talking about this anyway, right? With the points about like you know playing to weaknesses or whether or not you should instead of should, is it. Well, let me ask the, the way you were getting at, which is like, should the response to my performance evaluation identifying that I have some, you know, several strengths and some weaknesses, is the response less that it should be like work on your weaknesses, or should, or, or should the response be redesign uh, my my work so that I play more to my strengths? Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting question. I think I think this it's probably a, a there's probably an inherent tension to that, right? Because we we kind of don't want to foreclose in anyone's growth. So there must be some balancing act, right? But maybe like my role could be like 85% of my strengths and 15% of the things that aren't my strength. Um, and then I continue to work on those things that aren't my strengths that maybe the following year my role could change to a more balanced thing as it were mm-hmm. where some of my weaknesses are no longer weaknesses so I get to use more of them more often. But like the, the, the thing that like, you know, this year I'm in this role and next year I'm in the exact same role and the next year I'm in the exact same role. Uh, and, and the job description, as it were, doesn't change, but you've but and you've but you've identified that there are certain weaknesses that year after year I kind of work on, but are still kind of not nearly as strong as the things you kind of hired me for. My real strengths, like from an organizational perspective, you're really losing out because if you just redefine this role to be more of the strength focused one, maybe you'd be getting better things out of me while you still get growth on me in the long term. I, just another thought to offer your thought. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and well, maybe first, uh, just a quick question: mm-hmm. Why is it so bad to foreclose on growth? I don't know. I feel like in in the education space, like my well, line sure. of work, yeah. like, like like there's always this fear of that type of foreclosure. Like mm-hmm. you know, we, you like you, because like you want everybody in the system, students and adults, to all believe that everyone is capable of, of growth and, and, and that they are to an extent like, you know, that, that their intelligence is, or that their, um, you know, their brains are malleable, that they, you know, they, they can learn, they can develop. Um, but I think it's also a balancing act that you could strike, you, you could strike a better balance, which is that like, yes, you can grow, but why should I like more of the day put you in situations as a student that make you feel inadequate? Why not, continue to let you be in a lot of situations that develop your strengths, but also in a balanced fashion, work on your weaknesses, right? Like uh, I haven't thought it all through, but I just think that it's a value in the system. 
that we want everybody to think they can grow in everything and that you can't foreclose on that. Um, I, I think it is a value in the system. I, I think that there are things to it that, you know, fall within one of those cracks that we, that we tend to like to talk about here, which is, mm -hmm. you know, our instincts, maybe not, um, right. Maybe yeah. leading us, um, off, offline a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, uh, this is the type of thing I think I'd, um, kind of prefer to write out, uh, but l let's give this a shot. Let's say you're, um, you're a student and I do agree. It's a, it's, it's a different, uh, situation when you're a student because there's no downside or there's less of a downside to spending time on the wrong things. Sure. Um, it doesn't waste anyone else's time resources maybe i think that makes sense yeah mm -hmm. um so you you're performing well as a sixth grader let's say mm -hmm. and there are there are 10 things that we're trying to make sure that you're prepared to do as an adult or 10 different types of skills one being math and so on and so on right um, and you've done you you're 10 out of 10 on eight of them and mm -hmm. you're and you're five out of 10 on the other two mm-hmm this instinct that we're talking about, it's like, oh, get him up to, like, get him up from the five. Like, there's so much room right, to right, improve. Right. Clearly, mm -hmm, he's got mm -hmm. some skills. If we really focus on it, maybe we can get him from a five to an eight. Maybe he's never going to be a ten in there. But there's right. just so much room there. Right. And, like, okay, or I'm changing the hypo a little bit, but maybe there's one or two nines in there with the tens. Right. It's like, right. why, why am I going to focus on the nines? Because there's just less that we can do. Yep. And then here we can, you know, from the five up to the eight or the nine. I just, I think that's the problem. Is that like, there's never an expectation. There's never a desire or value to doing better than 10. Yep, exactly. And which is, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's like, ah, this person is doing very well. Great. Mm -hmm. Let's see what else they can be doing. So, well, no, let's see how, how good they can be at that thing. Why not? Right. Like, there's there's no ceiling. There there are no like um, sixth graders that are going to go just because they're they feel kind of ten out of ten on the scale for you that they're going to go right. teach a um, you know college classes next door. That's not going right, to happen. Right. They could be doing better than that. They could. Right. So uh, like, why foreclose on growth? It's like. I think really what we what and I'm not picking on your words it's just I we need to kind of use the same shorthands for things. Yes. Um that's really it's pointing to like oh we want to make sure that nothing gets left behind. Yes. We're terrified of leaving something behind, making it so that uh you could never be a mathematician later in life. So, right. Okay. Okay. But but growth isn't Necessarily like necessarily like uh, longitudinal, right? Like like we can keep. You could take your employee and have them play to their strengths and still have them be doing better, still have them grow, but mm -hmm. not, you know, this this redesigning the job thing. Mm -hmm. Let's say right now. They've got a job, their 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 tasks are are, are spent fifty fifty. 
between something that, that where they're doing very well and something where they're not very doing very well, doing very poorly. Ah, he's 100% effective half the time and 50% effective the other half of the time. Let's get him up from 50% effective on that second right. half of the time. Um, or let's make it so that 90% of his job is the thing that he's doing 100% well. Exactly. Now he's up to like 95%. Whereas That's what I mean. What was, right. yeah, what's, yeah. what was your ceiling by just trying to get him to be better at the things that he's weak at? It's not 95%. Right. It's 75 80. And and maybe it is okay for adults to have that type of um, skew in their in their work in a way we maybe wouldn't feel comfortable having a sixth grader. I I think so. I also you think know what I mean. So as, like as an employer, mm-hmm. you don't need to be worried about that in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like it's not your job right. to worry about it. Agreed. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like we're never. There's never going to be a human being that is as good as as he or she could be at everything that he or she could do. Mm-hmm. Right, That's so like you don't have, like, like the, the world-class pianist or the world-class cellist is not necessarily going to be excellent at something else. At, we, it definitely won't be excellent at everything else. Right, sorry, pardon. That's, I think that's the easier way for me to say it anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so many choices. Yeah. I mean, we, I think in general we should be encouraging people to make those choices for themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe earlier in life. Maybe before college instead of after college. Just to, to specialize and really focus on, on a smaller number of things. Instead of focusing on keeping mm-hmm. a maximum number of options open. This is a really good follow follow on comment to our plan day. Yes. Week. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, yeah, and we've railed against specialization on this podcast before, and and the need to true, need true, to be true. super narrow. Right. But that's mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the world we live in, and let's just let's just be good. Let's just be good at things. Why mm-hmm. are we Why are we going to spend so much time focusing on not being good at things? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot there to unpack, right? I mean, it, it, we probably spend a lot of time as a society thinking about how we're going to skill up because we we want to make sure a, a generation of people have high skills for new jobs. Yeah, so we want to make and, sure and they you, have skills. Yes, but they, but also it seems like not every skill is created equal in the job market or, or is, I'm sorry, is received equally in the job market. Right. So like, it seems to me that, uh, at least in our current age, whether it's still like the, the latter parts of the computer age going into some more information tech age, like STEM science, tech, you know, engineering, mathematics seem to be the types of skills that are highly valued. Yeah. Um, and, uh, presumably, um, there are, there are plenty of opportunities to exercise those. If you have those skills, right. So we as a society might want to help a lot of people be at least somewhat have a have a certain amount of facility in STEM related areas, right? No, I see. I feel like it's kind of the opposite. Okay. It's like in order to be, in order to make a career out of that, 
in yep. order for that to be your specialty, mm-hmm. there's a threshold over which you need to rise, cross. Like it. Yeah. If you're if you're average, if you're mm-hmm. average in mathematics in high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe with some focus and desire, maybe some late blooming talent or what what have you. You still you can get above average. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's good enough to be working in that area. Right. But if you're below average, like what are the chances that you're going to turn that into a career, especially if right. there are other things that you're significantly better at? Like let's let's mm-hmm. let's get you on the road to to getting better at to the um, you know for other things. I know. I'm just my only issue with that is that my fear is that the labor market uh, may not be aligned with that with that value. The, the, the value that like, okay, that is not your strength. Like, uh, you're right. So we're not going to help you further develop that, that strength or skill. But by the way, when you land in the economy, the particular thing that you're really strong at, there really aren't a lot of jobs out there for you um, that you can play to that strength. You may have to like create it on your own. You may have to only use that strength in your non-work life, um, because like we don't have infinite control over the we don't, you know there's you know the the labor market is its own beast, yeah, to an extent, you know. So yeah, and if you're, but if you're never going to be strong in that area, like particularly strong in that area, the labor market beast, you know, might chew you up and spit you out. I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying like I'm not saying like stop teaching math to low performing second graders. Right. I'm right. I'm saying, but like, what about freshmen in college? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I? Why do you need like the the person can do math? Mm-hmm. They've, you know, high school math is not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 But but maybe maybe we encourage people to to get down a road. Maybe we, we work harder to identify people who could be doing well enough in those four areas yep. to be do, mm-hmm. working in those four areas later on. Sure. Maybe the, the instruction can be better. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I guess, if you're not, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the easiest... Um, the easiest sight is hindsight and it's like well now that i know you know i spent all this time outside of school trying to make up for the fact that i was behind in math and it got me from right. you know 30th percentile to 50th percentile mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, it's just not like that's not my strength now in work that's not the job that i am best qualified for or a job that I could really end up with. Right, right. I don't know. And it works the other way, too. I mean, why why have those people who are really good in those areas mm-hmm. focus on other things that they may not be good enough to do for as a career? If we know that we value um, mathematics, engineering, mm-hmm. and we know that someone's really good at it, and they have the facility that they need with other subjects. Why not let them grow 
you know, in engineering rather than, you know, if there's extra time, maybe we're, we're having people focus the extra time based on safety rather than ceiling. Yeah, like we're hedging our bets as a society. I think, um, I think we're drawn to that. Mm-hmm. I think we're drawn to hedging our bets. Yeah. And maybe just to pull in the plans A thing too. Mm-hmm. That kid that you're trying to pull up, you know, say as a junior in high school, from 30th percentile mm-hmm. to 50th percentile in math. Mm-hmm. You're, you're forcing them to do extra work on it outside of class. We've talked about mm-hmm. like what it feels like to be doing things that you do well and what it feels like mm-hmm. to not be doing things that you do well. Right. Are they treating that like a plan A? Or are they treating that like an, like an obligation? You know, like a, like a punishment, like a thing that they, they have to not lose at rather than a thing that they could win at? I don't know. I fall. Yeah, I fall. And I mean, it did, I mean, it, yeah. well, I know, but but I will say that I mean, this does. It's amazing that just the concept of reviewing performance and how you focus on how to fuel performance has really just raised a, like a number of issues, a whole host of issues uh, about how we approach a lot of our institutions, like higher ed. Like, what should college be like? How should high schools be organized? Yeah. Um, should 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 work environments be organized so that we mostly have our roles being playing to our strengths, but only a small portion of our roles are to those things we're growing in, um, with the hope that maybe eventually they may become one of our strengths. Um, yeah. Like these are these are really like deep issues here, and they all really come down to the fact that like we are trying to improve performance, whether as society, as an organization, as individuals. Well, but maybe that's a way to cap off one of, one of these subjects. Mm-hmm. Are we necessarily like we we've we've we phrased one of these things as oh are you focusing on weaknesses or are you focusing on strengths in a review process and I think yep. that was a really good um, or it was a helpful at least uh, framing for us to be able to yes. talk about that right but you know sometimes a thing's opposite is is not mm-hmm. like maybe uh, sometimes it's it's absence the opposite and yes and part of the point maybe is to care about strengths like to actually look for those things like it's not yes i think a a lot of in a lot of performance review situations it's not like people are choosing between focusing on strengths or focusing on weaknesses sometimes they're just not really focused on the channel at all yep so maybe it's, it's just being being open to that and, and people are pretty good experts at themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. The There was a ton here. <clears> there <throat> was a ton here. So uh, we could take it all apart. It actually was a very short read in that sense, but I, I thought it was one of my favorite things I've read in a long time. Yeah, um, same here. Uh, really well well spotted there, Rob. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I... The... the, the let me just raise this last issue because we've talked about it, but I, or at least we've, we've, we've referenced it and we don't have to talk about it too much, but like the, the tension between, um, as they kind of use the terminology performance snapshot, like getting a, 
an accurate, being able to see the, my performance. Let's use that term. So seeing my performance versus fueling my performance. Yeah, see it clearly. We, like, we, we think a lot about this, or I should say, um, you know, the, well, the, the reform movement, let's mm-hmm. say, education reform movement, had kind of a victory in getting so many places to implement teacher evaluation systems. Not many countries have the type of weird teacher accountabilities that we do, right? Um, but they, they got into this into place, essentially a system where there are a bunch of different ratings that go into uh, like an overall rating of you as a teacher and has some implication about uh, your your next step in your professional career, like promotions, uh, whether you, you get tenure, whether you leave or something like that, right? And like we, we've gotten somewhat good at the measuring of effective teaching, mm-hmm. but what we still continue to struggle with is, okay, here I got a snapshot that we think is actually, you know, has good integrator reliability. We think is an accurate representation of your practice now. And then next year, it's like, great, we, we're really confident we've got a good, accurate vision of, uh, you know, version of your performance. We think that that it's an objective one because multiple raters kind of gave all that rating to you, right? Mm-hmm. But the stuff that happens in between, which is like, did I get better on any of those metrics or how did people help me get better on those things is like a different like nut to crack. Like we spend so much time on like trying to get the snapshot right that that um, um, that we maybe have under under <laughs> underworked on or, or didn't focus much on the the fueling performance, right? Because it's a different set of skills. Like there's one set of skills to be able to see your performance and be and accurately see it and make those you know answer those kind of key questions about you. Mm-hmm. But that's different from whether or not I have the skills to help you get better at one of the things or, or just to get better broadly as an employee, it, whether it's playing more to your strengths and getting better at them, right? Like going from a 10 to an 11, as it were, on like your on like your yeah, strongest yeah. strength, right? Versus like going from a five to an eight on one of your things that we may have ostensibly, or, you know, in the past called a weakness, right? So like we think about this all the time, right? Because like, yes, it's great that I was able to get an accurate vision of like, you know, a rating of you or some accurate picture of you or some comprehensive picture of you. But like, what about like helping you get better? Like, where's the fueling come from, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we still struggle with that, I think, right? Because like a, a big tension, you know, I, I think a lot about student surveys in my work. And there's there's tons of research showing that student surveys provide good information, provide good leaning indicator information, uh, and provide different information that other instruments do. Like teacher, like someone observing you in your classroom, uh, the, the student survey actually provides different types of information. So it actually adds value to the whole system, right? But they have not been used very effectively as growth tools, as tools to, to derive teachers' growth. Mm-hmm. So like this, this, this move to get like that great survey or that great rubric that is like a, a good way or training people how to see performance is a different skill than developing people to fuel getting better at those things, right? So maybe I'm good at identifying whether or not this is good writing versus somewhat good writing, but I might not be the same set of skills that I have as your supervisor to help you go from near great writing to great writing. Like I might know, I might, I may see it like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. how do I say this? Like the, the weird, uh, well, I'll just use that. Flag the problem. Right. Like I, I, I know, I know pornography when I see it, like the Supreme court type thing. Right. Right. Like you kind of know it when you see it. Okay. Right. So like I might be able to know when I walk into a classroom that this is a good teacher versus not a good teacher or that, this student's writing is excellent or I might read that article and be like, wow, that was, that's a fantastically, that's a really well-written piece. And I read something else. I'm like, that's not so well-written. And the question is just because I could 
see the difference in performance does not mean that I could necessarily tell the person who had the less well-written thing how to make it better. Right. L- long-winded, sorry, but that's the no, point I was trying to that's, get out. So, that's, um, um, yeah, that's really something because, like, in in then in like a business context and a Deloitte context, right? This like issue spotting procedure. Yep. I mean, this issue issue spotting thing can be helpful in one of two ways: uh, identify right. the, the 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 things that need to be improved, or mm-hmm. help you make decisions like, you know, who should be employed. What exactly. should they? What should they be assigned to? Things like that. Right. Should, yeah. Right. Should they have a? Yeah. Deloitte has different Perfect. options. They can. Right. They can move mm-hmm. you around in the company. Yep. But you really need a way to get people better. Yeah. Uh, and and so if just just for the the sake just to make this as extreme as possible to help identify yep. identify mm-hmm. this point, if yep. there were absolutely no way to make mm-hmm. teachers better. Yep. Since you can't just move them around, have them do different types of things or something like that. Yep. If there were no way to make them better, then there would be no reason to do the issue spotting. Exactly. Uh, it's, um, right. It's, so uh, I, you're I, not saying it's yeah. quite that extreme, obviously, but but it's it's that's an important way to look at it. I agree. Like it, you, yep. you have to have the. If the point of the thing is to make people better, yep, then uh, that needs to be part of the plan. I, I think right. Deloitte did a really yeah. great job. Oh, absolutely! Here, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. uh, accomplishing both things at the same time. Right, because they created that path. Yeah, well, I was going to say because they created a system around this. So those four questions that they that they're kind of the snapshots of your performance. That, that that has nothing to do with the the weekly check-in type thing they mentioned later in the article i'm sorry it doesn't have directly to do with that right it's like there's a difference between whether at any given time you'd say i'm ready for promotion or i am at risk for low performance like that none of those questions get at the fact whether or not i i am telling you like there's not a fifth question that says with more work in a given area this person could be eligible for promotion next year right so like the, the, that's not part of the snapshot and like the the, the subtleties uh, are not captured in that in that bigger system. Like maybe it's a more accurate. Uh, it is more accurate, and it's probably more informative of whatever you need to do to make a decision at that moment. But like the other kind of nitty gritty, like fueling performance, is just it, it is is literally gritty and nuanced and fine grain, right? Like you need to literally. They decide that not only are they going to have this kind of very streamlined set of questions to give me better snapshots of performance, but on, on the other flip side of the coin, they're actually going to have your supervisor talk with you even more frequently than they were before. So like it's yeah. the exact opposite of the annual performance evaluation. It's like the daily performance review and feedback session yeah. almost, right? It's right. Like, so it, it helps the person and it makes yeah. – the supervisor or team leader or whoever more qualified mm-hmm. to do the yes. evaluation at the same time that they're helping right they're helping the, the business be be more successful or productive or, or however you want to put it right maybe, but, but it, it's neat no go ahead maybe there's there's an element to you know back in the good old days maybe it's something that was a little more common um had some had some to offer here, and it's just apprenticeship, right? Uh, and maybe if there if there are no big companies, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really is 
basically just a, a world of small businesses that's that's more appropriate in that context but maybe there's a maybe there's a role to play here i mean i think right you know if you have a principal doing the evaluations of individual teachers maybe the principal yep. doesn't have a whole lot of experience teaching in the first place Correct, and, sure, sure, sure. and they have a boatload of non-teaching uh, like non-teaching related responsibilities as well yep mm-hmm. and so why are you having that person you know maybe maybe the real way to do this is to have someone focusing on administration of a school and then to have another yep. person like a like a head teacher or a master yep. teacher yep uh, available to help you know put things in con like uh, yes. I'm, I'm having a little trouble teaching this particular type of lesson. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're teachers. We know that one of the easiest ways to learn things is with a direct goal in mind, working directly on the material and making right. that, that lesson better rather than um, learning, like, dry skills in a box. Yes, yes, yes. You know, so so let's, okay, you've come, you've come, you've solicited my help. I'm the head, head teacher. We'll mm-hmm. work on this lesson together, try to make it more effective, and in doing that, you will learn how to make lessons more effective, and oh, by the way, I'm going to, you know, uh, be a lot more qualified to, you know, understand where you are in, in terms of uh, exactly you know, your career and your skills and what you could use help with and right. what you're really good at. Right, right. Have that right. person do the evaluations. Yep. No, I heard. I, yeah. I mean, there's so much there, but I, I, I also love the, um, the thought about, um, this. Well, first of all, let me step back and say that what you've identified in, in kind of the ideal school about separating out those roles. That's there are actually. Uh, the better schools do that. Oh, so yeah. the, 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 even DC broadly has a kind of a newly, well, there's, there's a model that some charter management organizations use, which is like they have essentially like an operations manager for the building. Mm-hmm. And then they have like an instructional leader for the building. Right. Mm. And the instructional leader for the building is, is something like what you've defined, but they also probably have coaches too, to provide coaching. But like there was, there, there has been almost a movement um, that has been driven to be like, it shouldn't be the case that a principal is like the lead manager with very little teaching experience, and 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 they're essentially supposed to. Maybe traditionally that made sense, right? Like you have like a manager and some teachers, and we don't do that much interacting. Like I deal with all the operation sure. stuff, but once the principal role shifted to having to be the instructional leader as well as the addition, the other responsibilities they've always had about like keeping the lights on and the building open and you know, um, doing hard disciplinary things that you had to do, like, you know, whatever, like talking to parents or whatever, right? Um, there's, there's been a realization that we need other people with, like, instructional expertise to have leadership roles mm-hmm. um, in order to, to drive and, 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 you know, and to help teachers grow in the building, you know? So um, so I just wanted to say that that, that that is exactly the type of model people are pursuing in education, the you know, the better schools. Has um, this, like, head teacher thing, does that, or yep. you know, instructional leader, whatever. Does that yep. in those models, does that person tend to continue to teach? Um it hasn't always been that way, and I don't think it's consistent, but the demand oh let me say this again. Uh, I want to use the right words. 
people in those roles, uh, it seems to me when I've heard people write about it or speak about it, they actually want to still have one foot in the classroom, as they as they say a lot. Like a lot of them don't want to have to be an instructional leader who doesn't then have their own students to teach. Many of them actually value these hybrid teacher leadership roles more than if they had to step completely out in order to coach you. Um, it seems like there there's almost a value in the system among people who want to be these instructional leaders. They want to feel like they're progressing up in leadership roles, but not in ways that mean they don't get to keep their feet in the classroom, as it were. So yeah, I I, um, I, um, mm-hmm. I I I believe in that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you had yeah. uh, if you had your head teacher like just working on a unit that could then be taught to like every fourth grade. In the yes. classroom in the school or something? Right, right. So, all right, right well, right. okay, so you're bouncing around. It's it's uh, sharing responsibilities a little bit. But exactly. But maybe, maybe if there's a takeaway from this Deloitte thing that really fits there, and, you know, maybe that's maybe this is already true or not, uh, it's that you need to have that person freed up for contact. So, like, when... when another teacher needs help with instruction or exactly could use help right. with instruction, that yep. that person is actually available. Like, I I believe in, and it makes total sense to me, you'd want that person to still be in the classroom, at least have one foot in the classroom. But you also probably don't want that person to have two feet in the classroom. I agree. You, you no, want, you're absolutely... You're, you want that person to be, like, teaching, like, 30% of the time. Without and, a doubt. And you're really, absolutely... Yeah. yeah. I mean, like... If that person is, even if that person just had a little bit of extra time, just like a, we're, we're humans. Like, I, I, don't, I don't love adding to other people's load or responsibilities. I would, I would step away. I wouldn't uh, make someone's life harder by trying to add, right. put more on it. It should be more like, no, I'm here. Like, in a, like a guidance counselor in a high school. It's like, no, I'm here. I have time. Come talk to me whenever you want to talk to me. You know, I, I'm not doing something else. I'm here for that purpose. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I agree. And I think that that's, that, that is one of those tensions, right, that I think that people are trying to work through. Um, like, you know, we, we haven't come to the perfect model yet. But you're right that in order for me to be able to provide you feedback in real time that's of use to you, I need to be available. The same, the same thing in this article, right? There was a part in the article where it's like the team leaders yeah. also have a bunch of other stuff they're trying to do. Um, so they have found the more effective model is to have the team member flag to the team leader that I need your help. Right. Um, rather than have the team leader like set a consistent time or something to do that type of check-ins. Like we couldn't figure out a better way to have it be this frequent and not be burdensome uh, by other than having team members feel empowered to say, I need help with this to go from A to B. Mm-hmm. Can you meet me in an hour or something? Or can you give me five minutes of feedback mm-hmm. so I can do another five hours of work, right? And I think that I think that organizations like schools or other places that are kind of more enlightened have figured out that that's the way to do it, right? Which like maybe it's better to have your supervisor give you a little bit of feedback on very concrete things rather than say next year you're going to get better on um, your interpersonal skills. I don't know. That, maybe that's too broad, but like whatever those kind of line items on an existing performance valuation were, right? Um, well, uh, I mean, maybe another solution in both situations 
you know, in a, in a, say at Deloitte or at uh, for a head teacher type thing. Right. Yep. Yep. Is to give them no pressure to have a foot, you know, still in the their normal work. Basically, like treat right. it like a sabbatical. Treat it like a visiting professorship. It's right. Like, no, right. this right. year, this one year, I'm going to focus on passing things on. Right. And if you're right. if right. you're a teacher at a particular elementary school, and like there's a there's a new like head teacher that cycles in once a year. Mm-hmm. Like how many how many tools are you going to add to your toolkit? Like, uh, you know how just different techniques that you could call on to help solve different problems, like. I don't know. But that strikes me as not hurting. Yep. Well, I there really is just a ton here. Yeah, but we probably could talk about it all night. But um, um any any final thoughts that you feel like? Um No, I, I, I just highly recommend people dive into this particular article. This is one of yeah. I, I have found this to be I think a lot about performance growth in my work. Uh, in education policy or performance management and professional growth. Like I think about that a lot. So this is like a team particularly relevant to me professionally, but for anybody who works at a, at a, at a company, right. Who goes through one of these processes, I'm sure you read this article and you'd say, I'd much rather the system to look more like what Deloitte has done than what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like building, building a movement. <laughs> so, um, thanks for finding this guy. And, uh, yeah. well, all right, so um, any ideas uh, ingredient-wise? Well, this condiment idea that you were getting at, that maybe we could try to kind of move back closer to that. Oh, continue moving in the condiment direction? Yeah. But we're not quite all the way there to, say, making mustard the ingredient. Right, exactly. I, 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 is there something that's like mustard that isn't, that isn't mustard? Um. um can, can we like work? A, can like we go horseradish? No. Uh, no. I don't mind that. I just think horseradish is tough, but I, it might might be it might be an interesting like, ingredient to use. I just tough? like. Oh, I mean, like, uh, it, like it's it's well, you like have to really use it cheese. very sparsely. Yeah. You don't want to use a lot of horseradish, like so. It'd be like that'd be, it'd be a very limited part of our sandwich. How about uh, uh, like pepper? Like like the the seasoning? Yeah. Is well is seasoning a, a, a way through here? <laughs> well, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to foreclose another seasoning. Have we done so, guacamole? We just did avocado. Avocado. So we have to. Uh, uh, I think I end up doing guacamole. Why don't Why don't Why don't we? To your point, do mustard. Let's do mustard. All right. Let's let's do that because it would encourage me to figure out ways to use mustard. So I think this would yes. actually be a good challenge for me. Yeah, um, I would. Well, yeah. So it's a careful choice of the mustard. Yes. And then just a way to have the mustard highlight something. Have it work. Have it. Yeah, I agree. Addition. I agree. I think, uh, mustard is a great on uh, like a turkey sandwich. I think it's great in a hot dog. But I don't, that's right. I don't know if it. Uh, Enhances, I, you know, I don't know if it, uh, whatever. We'll do some research on it. I mean, we, I mean, we will do, we could do some research on it. I mean, in between and figure yeah. out like, uh, it's, it's profile. Yeah. And how it fits with other things. Yeah. Like a double and, bag. And, and, That's yeah. Great idea. 
you know, episode twenty one has been has been awesome. Uh, and uh, ne- next time we'll be doing mustard. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll we'll fuel our performance uh, more more for next time. <laughs> All right, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. All right.